Hi, I'm Joe. And I'm Dave. And we're the hosts of the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, where we bring you stories that delve into the science and spirit behind intriguing people doing extraordinary things. Performance Tea has been supporting the Chasing Tomorrow podcast since day one, and they've released a new electrolyte and adaptogen-powered sport mix called Endurance. The lemonade and iced tea flavor are delightful, and it's 70 calories per scoop. The blend is easy on the gut. You can check it out at performancetea.com, and they have given us a discount code for any of our listeners to get 20% off their purchase. Just use Chasing20 at checkout. Welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast. This week it's episode 77. On July 27, 2021, a Facebook group page read the following post. Hi, I'm John and I'm an alcoholic. You don't land in prison for five years for being a nice guy. In short, don't get drunk and high and shoot up your neighbor's window. It's just not a good idea. I never thought my life would turn out like that. John Herzog landed a five-year prison sentence, and after a friend sent him a pair of Nike shoes and a Timex watch, he methodically ran, started vlogging miles uh, for two hours a day, running, his, running in the prison their one-fifth of a mile gravel track. In 2000, 2011, he ran 120.2 miles in a two-day period around that same one-fifth mile gravel track, setting a record in prison. Now, 10 years later, John is still sober. He's married. He has a toddler and he's a full-time pastor and a passionate ultramarathoner. Welcome to the Chasing Tomorrow podcast, John. Thanks for having me here, uh, Joe and Dave. Appreciate it. Well, John, this is one of those that's sort of like, uh, I think I've been thinking about this opening question for a while, but you know, when all of us can sort of remember a time in our lives when we had no idea what the future would hold for us, right? And most of it aspirational, you know, like the big things that would happen. So I imagine that you never thought of the path you ended up on. But before you sort of woke into that, you know, tell us a little bit about what it was like, you know, early before trouble started, you know, because now you're turned into a runner. Did you do any of that kind of stuff? We normal kid just hanging out, having some fun, and we can then get into you know how you made a left turn. <laughs> not, yeah. Not to, but yeah, let's hear a little bit more about John's story. Sure. You know, I was never one for uh, much organized sports. Uh, we were just poor. Family couldn't couldn't afford it, and if we did anything, like I played football a little bit, we were always on a scholarship program. Raised in a, a habitat humanity home um was born in tacoma washington and uh, parents divorced about nine it took us to bozeman montana oh bozeman's a pretty active town and uh, it was into bmx and i loved bmx so i always i'll just say i had a big cardio engine that i didn't even know about i look back on it but I, my brother and i we would always fish the streams and the rivers the gallatin jefferson and madison and uh, you know, we lit, Bozeman's a place that you can walk to the base of the mountains. Um, you can go hike all day and come back. And that's what we did. Uh, the only running I had was when I was forced to in a gym, gym class. And I would be one of the last kids when they do that test where you start at 
at one end of the of the gym floor and go to the other the beep test i don't know what oh they the beep test yeah 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 totally I, um, I would always be one of those last kids but you know never in in, in track and field none of that mm-hmm. yeah and so 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 growing up um you know there's a lot of cardio i mean you're not even knowing i mean you're definitely you know hiking to get to the to, to the spots on on the river and things um, but yeah, no real organized sport per se. Um, yeah. Tell me about your high school years. High school years. Um, I will say I was a troubled teen, um, <laughs> just a knucklehead, always getting in trouble. Um, just a rebellious kid. And like I said, no organized sports, actually the, the sports that I played, I had all four exchange student friends, uh, one buddy from Germany, two friends from Mongolia and a buddy from Shiraz, Iran. And uh, I've got to learn a lot of different languages from the, those kids. And those were the, the kids that I hung out. We played chess and table tennis. And uh, that actually, um, the, the instructor, we would go up to Montana State University. And that instructor, he could get my cardio levels going. Um, just a master at the sport. But high school, I worked. Um, you know, any chance that I could get out of the classroom, I would. Uh, I would work in the evenings from about two to 10 at night, just to make sure that I would have my own clothes and those kind of things. And um, high school was very short lived for me because I um, graduated at 17 and did three and a half years of high school. And I went right into the Marine Corps thereafter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. so, yeah. How does that, yeah, just keep going. So Marine Corps, because ultimately we're going to find a place we didn't want to be. So like, <laughs> yeah. Hmm. So the Marine Corps is really the place that I found that I actually had a, a niche for running. Um, I hated it at first. You go down from, you know, it flew mm-hmm. me from Bozeman to Montana to San Diego and uh, Marine Corps Recruiting Depot San Diego is right next to the airport. And when you would go run, um, you're just breathing in these jet fumes. It's hot, kind of humid. And it was just painful. And throughout boot camp, I just, I really struggled. Um, my physical fitness test time it's, uh, it's like a hundred points equals basically a six minute mile for three miles. So like that would be a, a pretty fast 5k. Um, but for me, uh, I was probably, you know, 24, 25 at that time, uh, minute miles, or I'm sorry, the whole time, right? So eight minute miles, somewhere around there. But it was actually getting a um, sent to I got orders out of what's called Marine Combat Training, which is two weeks after boot camp um, to go to Fort Bliss, El Paso, Texas. And it was there. It was so hot. I said, what am I doing here? There's only 50 Marines there on this whole army base. Um, but I bought a Camelback and one of the first MP3 players from the PX that I, I could find. And that was like a mm-hmm. game changer. I just realized I needed to get ahead of this, this running thing. And so I would go out at nights. I'd fill up my camel back with ice and just run around the base. And I, that's when I first got my first runner's high, I, you know, and mm-hmm. I think I started chasing that, like it was exhilarating. And I became known as, you know, one of the, one of the fastest Marines in my, my unit detachment there. And then as soon as I, I got stationed a third low altitude air defense battalion in Camp Pendleton, California, um, I noticed I had a knack for that. So I would always be that guy that would be the road guard um running Mm -hmm. ahead of the platoon and you had to have the sprinters you had to have the guys with endurance and i would just i built up this kind of this base um but not as like not as a hobby just because this is something still i had to do right 
And it was just something that I was like, I felt like an Athenian hoplite where I was at Poplite, where, you know, um, like a warrior runner or something. And that was kind of my niche. So, you know, I would run ahead and, and um, I'm smoking cigarettes at this time, even chewing tobacco and stuff. And my nutrition was horrible, but I was still finding that, you know, hey, I'm faster than all the people around me. Still at this time, I, I had a buddy um, that I met and his name was Joe. Well, Joe was a swim coach in high school. And uh, um, anyway, I befriend Joe. Um, he was a lower rank than I at the time, but we both go to Iraq together. And uh, me and him get to talk and I'm like, man, I didn't sign up in the Marine Corps to do the job that we were doing. We were in Iraq basically doing like entry control points for this um, for this base and, and patrols. And, you know, I, the only reason why I had to go to the job I did is because my dad wouldn't let me go into the grunts at 17. So he said, mm -hmm. you'll have to be behind mm -hmm. some armor, but I start talking to Joe. I start running with him and uh, he takes me to the pool, right? There was literally a pool in Al-Assad, Iraq, this beautiful base that Saddam Hussein had built for his army. And the coldest thing, let me tell you, like November, that pool was freezing, but Joe, he's like, come on, let's go to this pool on our time off. I hop in there and uh, he starts just thrashing me in the water. And uh, the reason being is he wants us to go reconnaissance. He's like, man, don't go to the grunts. Go, go become a reconnaissance Marine uh, recon guy. And so we start training and Joe starts taking me on these crazy, like 14 mile runs. He has me do a, an army 10 miler on this base. I, I complete my first 10 mile run in, in, in some decent time, um, but it's just this wild adventure. Um, side note, I met my blood cousin, first blood cousin in Al-Assad, Iraq for the first time. <laughs> is that right? <clears throat> Absolutely. Crazy. His name's Dustin. He was from Idaho. And he, he ran up to me one day after I was just getting some money um, out for some cigarettes. And he says, is your grandmother Yvonne? I <laughs> what on earth? Anyway, um, cool place to meet your cousin. But back to, to Joe, he just continues to push me. We get in the weight room. We get mm -hmm. back from Iraq. And then we really start like ruck running and adding weight and running the beaches. Then, then my 5K, my PF, I'm just going to say my three miles, what we call it in the Marine Corps, it gets down to like 1730. Um, and so I start getting some some speed in there. And mm -hmm. I mean, you know, I feel very challenged. And I end up actually going um, and and switching jobs to reconnaissance. Toughest, one of the toughest challenges of my life. Um, it's also, um, you know, it's a it's a place that you don't have to be at. Unlike boot camp, once you sign on the dotted line, you're gonna go through it. Mm. At, and, and reconnaissance, as a reconnaissance marine. Um, the first thing in the creed, it says, realizing it is my choice and my choice alone to be a reconnaissance Marine, accept all challenges involved with this profession. Uh, mm -hmm. At any moment, you can drop on request. So it's three months that makes boot camp look very easy. Uh, and I won't get into, you know, everything there, but it's just um, a thrash fest day and night, day and night for months at a time. Um, so those three months, sorry to interrupt John, but those no, three months, like, you know, you know, tell us a little bit more about that, because like it, would, it was the first week, of, you know, like I've, I've, I've attempted to run across the country of Canada, right? And I, what am I, my, my feeling about, you know, these multi-week things is the first week sucks, 
<laughs> you know, and that gets a little bit easier and then a little bit easier. Was that your experience too? Or was the, the three months a continual just, you know, ragdoll? Uh, what, what did that look like? You know, it was, it was certainly, uh, there was an adjustment, but I, I have to tell you, I, I never got used to it. Like there was never a day where I could take it easy. Um, there was, I was always fighting, um, the verge of what they would just call DOR to drop on request, um, from the pool to land nav, uh, to the, the patrolling phases, to the, uh, amphib phase, amphibious phase down in Coronado where the seals train, um, every single day you're, you're handed a new experience. Um, you're tested mentally, physically, uh, you're exhausted and you're drained. And then on top of that, this is, uh, well, things kind of turn a little bit, but my buddy, Joe, who I went uh, into reconnaissance with one day, uh, I heard some sirens. I heard like ambulance or first responders coming. And, um, I had this strange feeling. I'm like, man, I hope that's not related to Joe for some reason. Um, but come to find out Joe had died in his sleep during that training. Uh, no, no medical explanation still to this day. Uh, wow. it was one of the toughest things that uh, really kind of put me into a very destructive mentality on how, how short life is and how you just need to, mm-hmm. to do anything to live it up for the, the day. But I ended up flying Joe home to uh, his parents in Downers Grove uh, in, mm-hmm. in Chicago. Uh, that was tough, man. Uh, mm-hmm. Really to, to suit him up and, and see him in his casket. And, and uh, yeah, I still miss Joe to this day. <laughs> yeah, that's, wow. <clears throat> One of those probably truly unexpected moments that you had, huh, as you went along. So, so it's sort of like you've been holding it together here, right? You got through high school, you go into the Marines, you get out, you're starting to, you know, hold it together. You have this moment course very disturbing because this guy really was an enabler for you and that was missing you know so then then what happens like from there do you stay together or does it start to unravel you know one of the driving forces for me to complete the training was um joe had this phrase it was called the bone of discipline and every time i was about to falter in something you know i just he would just say you know what herzog you just don't have a bone of discipline. And, and that would go through my head every day, you know, um, but I would find myself even on the weekends. I, I, so I would be able to leave. I was a non-commissioned officer at this time. I was, was able to leave uh, that training and then go back to my barracks for a day before I had to report back. And I would just get drunk and I, and I wasn't even of age. Um, and I was in this huge dark spot and this was, I I turned to alcohol as a kind of a coping mechanism. Uh, And I remember like just having panic attacks, even through the rest of that training thinking, you know, this could happen to me. Like my heart would just race and I would just get these bright flashes of light. Um, And I, I still, to this day, I've never sought like clinical psychological help for that. Um, But it was just for, for many years that would continue um, mm-hmm. yeah. And anywho, so it's just, uh, I graduate that and I go back home to, to Bozeman, Montana for 30 days before going to be stationed in Okinawa, Japan for two years. Um, and that with third reconnaissance battalion and 
you know, that's uh, an interesting thing to be, to show up to a recon unit. And it's, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of good stuff that goes on there. And the expectation is that you're a, you're a silent professional and that they pipeline you in, in this way through airborne school, seer school, dive school. And they invest a lot of money and time and effort and, and expect you to, to uh, perform. Mm. And I, I wasn't performing, you know, during this time, it's like, I, I spent a lot of time, any off time I had, I would be at a bar, um, mm. spent, I, I squandered so much money on alcohol, cigarettes, and just um, living it up, you know, and, and in the Marine Corps, there's something called a Liberty Claymore. And when you're released for, for the weekend, you never want to be the Liberty Claymore. Liberty is the time that you're given by the Marine Corps to, to have a break away from the training. And, you know, Claymore portion is showing up Monday in that formation and the battalion sergeant major, uh, our CO is explaining, you know, something, something crazy that happened this weekend and explaining why we're all standing here. And I was that guy. <laughs> mm. So I was promoted to sergeant 20 years old. And then I was promoted to corporal demoted back down to corporal 20 years old, uh, mm. real shortly. So it all caught up to me and kind of left a sour taste in my mouth. Um, I, there two years they were offering me $90,000 reenlistment bonus tax free because I was getting ready to go to Afghanistan. And I said, now nah, I'll go to college. Mm-hmm. All right. So you Marines get a bit of trouble here, drinking and everything, turn this down. Now you want to go to college. Do you get in, make it through? Yes, yeah. you did. Massive fail. Uh, it totally didn't work out that way. So uh, I end up actually going back to Bozeman. Then I moved to, to Washington. And my plan is to study. At the time, it was, um, I was going to go to DeVry. And I had this plan, uh, network and communication management with an emphasis of uh, security management. Um, mm-hmm. I figured, you know what, I, I'm pretty technical. I can do this, right? Uh, find me a nice desk job and have some fun. But the problem was, uh, I was on a housing stipend and unemployment and I would get paid on a Monday and I would be at a casino like minutes thereafter and mm. drunk and, and thinking I was ahead. And then I'd walk out of that same casino with absolutely nothing except a dollar because I knew my, my card, my debit card would, there was one gas station that I could swipe that and it would give me a full take of gas, but only charge me a dollar. And then you know, every day I'm below the, the required amount, it's charging me $20, but that's just like kind of metaphor of my life. Um, mm. Behind, never able to catch up. I end up moving into my sister's garage. Um, and then things just take the, t- the turn for the worst, really. Um, and the, the beginning of this podcast, I mean, you mentioned the article about never mm-hmm. you know, seeing myself end up in, in prison. And right. Um, I, I had joined the Washington Army National Guard because I had missed the camaraderie uh, of the Brotherhood and kind of the fun stuff of the military. And I came back from a guard duty uh, a week out in Yakima, Washington, very hot place in the summer. And uh, my sister had made mention of some uh, neighbors kind of threatening my autistic nephew uh, I don't want any sympathy here. I'm just telling the, you know, the facts, the reality of it, what kind of triggered me, if I can recall. 
And I just remember getting drunk that day and just kind of dwelling on that a little bit and uh, suiting up like Rambo. I had so much ammo on me um, and probably, you know, enough to take out a small police force or something like that. But uh, it's kind of hazy in in that time period because in my drinking, I would just black out uh, all the time. And I think some of that happened. Um, I don't even recall firing the weapon. Uh, I remember ringing a doorbell and, Mm -hmm. and then I remember waking up to my mother saying, John, the police officers are outside and they want to talk to you. And I said to her, uh, mom, I said, just tell them to go away. I'll talk to them in the morning. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so was it, was everybody okay? Did everybody everybody get injured? The next day, I wake up in a jail cell with with the worst hangover, thinking that this is just like, where am I? Um, I'm in this this suit, and I, I a piece of paper slid underneath the door, and it has three hundred thousand dollar bail, with two counts of first degree assault and first degree attempted burglary, and I'm trying to just piece it, you know, together in my mind, like replay, like what on earth did I do? Um, mm-hmm. I'm reading the charging papers and it says this person, um, uh, must've been, must've missed this person by inches. Like literally they had bird shot in their hair and glass. And so, mm-hmm. um, I, I just know this, had I hit somebody, I would not be here today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I, I really do. I share that like right now just even just thinking about how crazy that sounds it's crazy it's completely crazy um Mm -hmm. and yeah obviously i'm not in that that cell today Mm -hmm. absolutely absolutely so yeah so you ended up you know in in jail um and of course you know shortly thereafter after that you know sentenced to was it five years in prison yeah so i i was literally facing over 20 years um Mm -hmm. for those charges I ended up getting a phone call from my sister saying that uh, speaking with the, my, my lawyer and the, the prosecuting attorney that the, the lowest I was going to get this was a plea bargain. I waited, I think, four months to, to talk to them about something, ne- never having a you know, felony or, or even a misdemeanor on my record. I had been to jail one time for a fight. Um, and the veteran, you know, I even tried to pull the, the veteran card. Hey, I've, I've served my country. You know, can I get a break here? Um, they weren't they weren't having any of that. And, mm-hmm. you know, they said this is very serious. And the, the reality is it was. Um, mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't accepting that at the time. But I remember my sister just simply saying, John, you're, this is the best deal you're going to get. And it was for 66 months. Four of those years were flat time, meaning I was going to serve day for day on 48 months. And then they mm-hmm. were three 18 month sentences to be run concurrently um, versus the consecutive sentence. And so I would serve basically 12 on that 18 or two thirds of it. And so I would end up serving four years, 11 months and some change. Strangely, I served four years, 11 months in the Marine Corps. So, I, you know, there's like something <laughs> there, like almost day for day if you don't mm-hmm. I got what I had coming to me but if we talk about what happened and it took me a while in you know I'm a I'm a pastor 
now. So there's a lot. I want to <laughs> jump to the, you know, the guy. Will, will, oh I yeah, we'll absolutely, there. John. But yeah, yeah, we'll get there for sure because I think that the story is, you know, it, it's it's you know, it, it you you were in a good trajectory. Everything yeah. was looking good. Everything was looking, and then things turned, and you know, then you got into a little bit of trouble, and then a little bit more, and then a little bit more. But then, you know, it almost seemed like this five-year sentence happened um, to kind of put a stop to that and say, okay, you need, you need some time to, to think about this. And, and you thought about it. So, so let's talk about those, you know, the, 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 the time spent in prison. And, and then ultimately, you know, you, know, you finding, um, finding God uh, and ultimately finding running. And, you know, you're a family, you have a family now and you have a wife and it seems like, like everything is, is going in the right direction. You know, was there a period in, in, uh, during that sentence, during the first many months, first year or so, where you were in denial, where you're like, you know, screw everybody else, nobody knows, you know, I know better than everybody else. Or, or did you find out that your very first day in prison, wow, what did I do? I need to own this. Tell, tell yeah. us a little bit about that. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it took a while. It took, I'm going to say, six months to a solid year um, for me to to accept that I had a legitimate problem. And the, and the first problem was I was still trying to find, so I talked about alcohol, but there were, there were other things. I was, even in the Marine Corps, I'll just say, uh, using, you know, abusing prescription medications and those things. And there I am in jail facing this huge thing. And I'm trying to figure out how I can make what's called Pruno. I, I was in on a Pruno ring, which is jailhouse alcohol, um, blatantly making it like the guards would come through and, and, and you have this inspection thing. And I was so just not caring about you know, where life was that like, I was the one holding it. <laughs> and, um, you know, some of some of my uh, favorite movies growing up were like The Great Escape, um, mm -hmm. and I I don't know some something in me that was like adventure in this. You know, it was in this weird thing. There I am experiencing this 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 new culture, and I didn't fit in with these guys, um, but I was trying to assimilate in some form, and I found myself uh, kind of doing well. In, in that environment, um, I was challenged. And when I was challenged, I think just not having too much fear about some of the environment and the hostility there, it's hyper-masculine. And uh, people were aggressive and I would be aggressive back. Um, even though I had this violence, um, I ended up getting in the fights. I ended up getting in a fight over a, a, a contraband poker game and ending up in the hole in, in, in solitary confinement over Thanksgiving and Christmas, that first uh, that that first few months in and getting OC sprayed to the face, I had done that in the Marine Corps, and I you know received some OC spray, and I was laughing at the guards. Um, so I find myself in solitary confinement though, and I will say that's where things really began um, to get a hold of me. When you have some some quiet time to ponder life, I mean, I was I was at a point where I was kind of just fed up with life. I remember looking at the tiles on on the the cell that I was in and uh, thinking about how I could just end my life, you know. Um, mm -hmm. 
but I will just say through, through a series of um, what I'm going to call divine appointments. I mean, I received this book. It was from this pastor, uh, uh, Dr. Don Shorter, uh, Tacoma, Washington, and it was called winning against all odds. And it really spoke to me because of my kind of my, my gambling addictions. And he, and, and in that book, it talked about his mother. Um, uh, my mother was an alcoholic. My, my dad wrestled with that as well. Neither of them graduated high school or anything like that. My dad has his GED. Um, alcoholism runs in our family rampantly. And I, I remember that, like that book just really revealing to me that like, is more than hereditary, but I, you know, I was, I could identify with that and, and the transformation that happened there in that, in his mother's life and his own life. I said, you know, what if, um, mm-hmm. I had been raised in the church and you know, anyway, through that is, is really where I, I got to the back of that book. And there was this part about admit, believe and confess, right. And, and from a Christian lens, you know, that's, that's really where I began to admit to myself, you know, and I said, Oh God, if this thing is, is real and if you're real, then maybe you can help me out here. Now I have to admit, I really do think that was a desperate plea to, to, to get me out of my situation more so than, you know, uh, a, a state of the soul, a, a legitimate change. Um, it was more of a convenience, right. And desperation mm-hmm. to God saying, mm-hmm. help me, <laughs> Um, mm-hmm. but he did in the weird, in the weirdest thing. And I'm going to share this. I-, I would share this on a Sunday with anybody. And after reading that, I, I had said this prayer and I just, God, I just need your help. And I, I had this strange feeling that I was going to get locked up and released the same day to the same guy that I had got into a fist fight with. Right. <laughs> like, because we went at the same time and we came out the same time. Mm. Well, I, I was a little worried about that. Like, this, I'm just going to live in this solitary confinement the rest of whatever time I'm here. And I know I'm going to have to fight this guy. So I just need something done. Well, I had been given this Bible and it, it was in Proverbs. And like, I, I used to just do this thing where I would just open up the Bible and just, pull, you know, that, that thing really spoke to me. And I felt like, the, you know, uh, it was important. Anyway, when I opened that up, it said in Proverbs, when a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, even his enemies will be at peace with him. Mm-hmm. Mind-boggling to me. So, mm-hmm. so this is, you know, I mean, of course, completely fascinating in that there are so many of these deeper life lessons. You know, we, we don't want to trivialize mm-hmm. the idea of, oh, I can't go do an ultra marathon or I can't get something done in my life because, in fact, that's really up to us, right? I mean, you found pathways sometimes you made it like positive and other times you let it wind you the wrong way and then you had to unwind it and but it's the same person here like going Mm -hmm. through these stages right this is john is john he has circumstances sometimes slightly behind beyond your control but but there has to always be this sort of somewhere inside you this innate belief in oneself that it, you know, we've all, like Dave, me, any of us on the show, we, we've all had those moments. And I always sort of thought, is it the beginning or the end? You know, like you did something that you weren't proud of or it was stupid. And then you look at that moment and say, is this the beginning or the end? Meaning the end, meaning I'm not going to try and move beyond it. Or the beginning, meaning that happened. And now I can sort of think uh, differently. I always have it there, but, right? you know, as you've sort of now both looking back and want to hear a little more about 
how you then got the running to play somewhat of a role, I imagine, in this journey. Yeah. Were you getting closer to getting that sort of mindset back that, you know, in fact, this is really up to me, you know, with some, we could call it divine inspiration, whatever we want. I mean, but it's still us, right? The trigger could be the trigger, but we have to, you know, want, like, do you feel like that's this sort of, um, sort of, I don't know, like I'll call it a movie that we've watched and we want to play over again, and, but we have to get used to doing that, right? And then get good at that. Did you like, what, what was going through your head as you tried to make that transition? Yeah, um, I got to do something different. <laughs> this isn't working out. Um, mm -hmm. And really, if I was just in short to take it back to the faith thing, um, you know, this doesn't honor God. This, is, does, this isn't his plan for humanity. Um, I, I would read in scripture where it talks about, um, you know, uh, plans for blessing of prosperity uh, and not in the financial sense, right? But just, and, and I didn't see my life as prospering. And, and I wanted to, you know, uh, get beyond the almost um, generational curse of my family you know, mm. and make something of this. And so um, really, I began to, to do that in w several ways. Um, I began to do some Bible studies. And I think there was some character building that happened in there. I began to work out in my cell. And I would just do this, uh, what I'm going to call like a Navy SEAL routine or just with burpees. Uh, burpees is a big thing behind bars. And uh, Part of that was also, I think, just some imitation kind of things to um, just to also make sure that you're not messed with, right? Um, but if, it, you know, people see that, then they're less likely to to try and uh, take advantage of you in some fashion. And so I stayed constantly um, doing some form of calisthenics running in these little sandals in jail. And then finally, uh, once I did transition to a prison, I was sentenced. Um, then I was, it, I mean, you get like progressive um, benefits, if you will, or our liberties. Um, the, the higher you, you know, a lot of people want to go from the jail to, to prison and just get it done, especially if they're career convicts or something and they know the system in and out. They're like, get me out of this jail because it's just a jumpsuit and sandals and, and this meal on a tray. You get to prison and there's a yard, a weight room, some programming that you can do. And um, really it was there in, in prison where I, I show up at, at Shelton, Washington, which is the receiving prison for all the other prisons where you get screened by a counselor so they can identify where you're going to end up. Um, mm -hmm. And, and it was there that I began to be able to run around a track, which was awesome. Um, how I was doing that, uh, we would get, you know, a two hour yard period or something like that. And I just wanted to, I loved the fresh air. I love to be out there and do my own thing. I didn't have to talk mm -hmm. to a lot of folks. I wasn't looking to get in trouble. I wasn't, you know, at this point, I just remember wanting to just get beyond this. And so I figured if I just commit to, to cardio and, and working out and just, you know, 
finding a program of some form, whether through education or a trade or something like that, then, then I'll do good. I'll have something to, to, to have, um, you know, to get a job outside of this place. And so I was actually uh, chosen to stay at one of the po uh, populations at that Shelton initial prison. There's a, there's a population of small group of, of prisoners and uh, I was working in, I was, I was chosen to work in the garden, which was amazing because I would be out in the sun and, you know, mm -hmm. learning all sorts of things, getting my hands in the dirt. And um, then I would still, I would, I would go out and run and I wish I would have brought it today, but I, I had this, this book and everything I have on Strava today, all the analytics and all of that, I, I had basically graphed out and, and figured <laughs> out how, you know, this one fifth mile track and about where I was at. And I had a buddy send me a watch so I could tell my, you know, it took me such, you know, six minutes and something to run, run a mile and, mm -hmm. you know, plot it. And throughout all of that, I mean, I just started setting these little micro goals for the big goals that I wanted and just going after them even there. Um, which kind of leads yeah, so, to the walkathon thing. Yeah. And so, so John, so, so tell me more about those goals. So you started setting little goals like, Hey, I want to do five loop, five laps of this track in a certain period of time, or you want to be able to run for a certain distance nonstop or, or something like that. Did you, did you, you, so you started setting some smaller goals and then that led to, to bigger goals. Yes. So I met this guy and he wanted to run the Pacific Crest Trail. Well, he wanted to hike the Pacific Crest Trail. I thought, you know, that's a, that's a pretty cool ambition. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And an older guy. And I said, you know, well, I want to be fit. <laughs> so that, that was the huge, the, the big goal, right? Uh, the distal goal and the, the more pro proximal goal was, uh, uh, yeah, exactly that. Let's, let's run uh, you know, let's see what I can do for, for eight miles or 10 miles. And then just progressively, let's see if I get better. Um, and mm -hmm. so I started to even log my food and all of that, like what I was intaking and just trying to find like the happy balance of, of all of that. And, um, we, we had access to a library. I didn't look up anything, uh, running related at this time, but I did know that we had this walkathon that was coming up. And my buddy, Pat, um, he had the previous record set for the prison. And it was like 104 miles or something like that the, mm. the previous year. And I said, well, I probably could do a little bit better than you, Pat. And uh, <laughs> that, was my, that was my goal. And I got the guards to sponsor me for 50 cents a mile. Um, and I, I, I forget who it went to benefit, um, Circle K Club of something. Um, but they organized this event and it was like over two days and we were allowed out uh, for these huge yard periods. And uh, my goal was just to stay next to Pat until he dropped. <laughs> and <laughs> it was great because they literally had, I mean, on this fifth loop, I think about some of these, you know, backyard ultras that they do. It was that, that, but on a fifth mile track and they had mm -hmm. snacks and they had all sorts of awesome stuff and music. And so I would just go and I would just go. And then we had another guy, I forget his name. Um, he was a decent runner. Um, and we weren't really, you know, hauling. If anything, we were probably doing like a 17 or, or 16 minute mile, you know, um, basically walking and speed walking the whole time. Um, 
but it, we did have sleep, you know, so we had three meals in there as well. And the next day, the second day, um, I was broke off my knees beneath, like I, I thought they were broken, but I just had this crazy <laughs> desire. And it was just the competitive person that I am um, mm-hmm. to beat Pat and stick with him. And that's exactly what happened. And uh, I was fortunate because if I was to back up just real briefly, I had a buddy who had sent me a pair of Nike trail shoes and those were a huge help. And this Ironman watch, it was a Timex Ironman watch. And both of those things mm-hmm. were like a key to, um, because I don't know if I could have done that in the state issue uh, Velcro shoes, like rubber mm-hmm. soles and Vel- there, <laughs> that would have been quite a challenge. So I'm, I did have some decent gear. One yeah, so, thing, so- John, I wanted to just touch on here is to, to know if you've, if you've felt this through this journey, because it's been interesting up and down, is I find that often what we rely on in our lives to keep us going is affirmation from the outside. You know, mm-hmm. whether we're trying to please our parents, um, a spouse, a girlfriend, a boyfriend, the kids we go to high school with, the world at large, right? And we're waiting for everyone to sort of love us. And hey, that's wonderful when that happens, right? That's, we like that. There's nothing but goodness. But the intrinsic part of sort of when you, I think, become really more high functioning is when you do that for yourself, when you feel proud of your own discipline or way that you treat yourself like okay i said i'm going to do this i'm going to go do this you know i'm going to treat people well i'm going to learn i'm going to run i'm going to you know and it isn't you know we we can talk about in relative anonymity is when the real development of who we are you know there's a saying that says you know integrity is what you do when no one's watching and i actually think that when no one's watching is really who you are, because that's when you can only look at yourself and say, I committed to this. I'm going to do my five pushups mm-hmm. tonight. I'm going to read a page from the Bible. I'm going to, and you don't let yourself down. Like that's not okay. Have you sort of felt that run through that in your head through this process to, cause I think what I was hoping we do a little bit is like, what can others take away from this, from your experience, mm-hmm. you know? Like, is that part of what's made the difference for you? Massively, um, holding myself accountable and, and setting those goals um, and going after them. But also, really, it was through community that challenged me. I'll tell you about a, a prison chaplain who really was a mentor to me. Um, matter of fact, you mentioned integrity. Um, I started to go to church at uh, Washington State Penitentiary and, and Chaplain Gill, he came up to my cell one day and he said, hey, young man, he said, I need a man of integrity. You know what integrity is? He, and he wanted me to be his chaplain assistant um, and open the door for me to literally have my own office in prison mm. uh, where I would receive uh, mail from serial killers from i mean folks that are are on death row um and uh i i got to sit across from uh chaplain gill and and you know he he would really 
just mentor me biblically, scripturally, but just I got some life advice there that really mm-hmm. nudged me along. He's also a swimmer. He was in the Navy. So we had some things to relate to. We would play chess. And I love that. Um, but it was through that community. And I also built a sense of community amongst uh, a, a ton of different folks too, all, all sorts of uh, walks of life in, in, in prison. But the, the, the drive came um, just to, to, to really um, hold myself accountable because I was just really sick and tired of uh, where I was at and in life and realizing that I had, a, you know, I'm still young. I'll, I'll get out when I'm 27 years old. So I counted 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, and 27, I'll be out. And uh, I still have opportunity ahead of me. I looked around and I saw, I met guys, I met men that'll never leave bars, maybe some that'll die in bars, behind bars. Um, and I looked at how old they were. I said, I don't want to be that, but I could very mm-hmm. easily be that. I could have been that. And I think that was really pivotal, like knowing that I was inches away from taking someone's life. Um, that's kind of been a catalyst, like grace <laughs> and, and, and second, you know, opportunity. And, and that was really a driving force. So I would do this thing at night when the bars would close, like I had a classic, when you think of penitentiary, um, this penitentiary is like towers. I mean, guard towers and steel bars, um, and I had a one-man cell, um, and this was a, a the lowest level security that you could be at in a prison. It was turned into a camp where I eventually ended up. And at night, when those bars slammed and they locked in, I would I would put my head right next to that because I wanted this I wanted the the steel to re- just resonate. I wanted to remember that. And I still mm-hmm. remember that to this day. Like I can vividly just like even almost audibly hear that because I would force myself. Um, and another, another thing was before I looked at myself in the mirror every day, I had this little flexible mirror and on the back of it, I wrote a bunch of scriptures. I won't go through those, but those were scriptures that held me accountable every day to remind mm-hmm. me who I was today and, and who I wasn't, but the discipline and, and the drive. And, uh, I think some of that came through, uh, you know, even the Marine Corps, it was super beneficial. Um, because I developed some things there. Um, I didn't have a visit in over four years from anybody on the outside. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I was kind of, <laughs> kind of had a grudge about that. You know, my dad yeah. wasn't too far away, a four hour drive or something. Um, but he was on hard times too. And my, my, some of my family, um, you know, they had experienced some hard times of their own, but it was just, a, you know, a, a drive to do something more than where I was. Well, I think it's, you know, maybe not even more, but just something different, right? You know, yeah. John, when I hear your story, I hear, you know, you know, when, when, when I hear your story, I'm sitting back and I'm thinking about a, a cocky, scared kid, you know, somebody who likes to think that he has all the answers um, to a point, And then you realize when you're smacked upside the head with a baseball bat that you have no answers. And you got to relinquish control, right? And there's a level of acceptance that comes with doing something like that. And I think that acceptance, you know, is found in many places, in many dark times. And and one of the beautiful things that both Joe and I, and I'm guessing you, John, as well, too, love about ultra racing and running and 
going out and doing hard things just because is because there's a level of acceptance that comes with doing something like that it, it very acutely it feels like this couldn't get any harder and then you lean into it and you have to accept that this is what this is and you're going to be okay right you kind of relinquish control to god or to a higher power or to or to the fact that you just don't know what's coming around the next band and so you know what i when i hear your story i i, I hear there there's there, there was a there was a point in time and either running came first and or god came second or god came first and or but you know it all kind of came together and you know there is more of a calm more of a, a calm um organized you know john now that that's 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 here on the planet doing good things you're married you've got a toddler you're a full-time pastor you're you're spreading a good word um would would you agree with that with that with that piece yeah absolutely um i'll say whole, wholeheartedly um i i'm very humbled um to have the opportunities that that I did um, mm -hmm. to to do better, and I was given. I'm going to just talk about access. Um, I was given an opportunity to go to college, the very thing I was trying to do after the Marine Corps. And mm -hmm. through Warren Buffett's sister, there's a Doris Buffett. There's a foundation called the Sunshine Lady Foundation, and uh, she made it possible for uh, for inmates to have access to college in a local community college um, taught at Washington State Penitentiary. I earned a two-year associate's degree while doing this, um, you know, as a, as a chaplain and absolutely free. Um, I've talked to several folks on the, on the outside and they're like, really, what do I have to do to go to prison to get a free education? But <laughs> it, it really does help. And I'm a huge believer in, in education and what that does and the recidivism mm -hmm. rates and how, and how that changes and transforms people's lives. I mean, this is my first exposure to sociology or any of the social sciences, psychology, diving into philosophy of religion and um, biology and, and all of those things. Just, I mean, access to education is something that just opened the door for me to have some critical thinking and think about, <laughs> you know, the, the possibilities that we could have beyond bars, right? Um, I During that time too, it was really great. I actually... Um, uh, started doing Toastmasters and learning public cool. speaking. And I mean, we had so many opportunities um, and they're there for the taking. And those are the things that really helped me uh, succeed. And I would see guys come, come back in through the door. But to get beyond prison, uh, when I left there, I, I was set. I was ready to go and do something to take the world. And I thought it was going to happen overnight. And it didn't. <laughs> As a, as a felon, I don't care how good you are. I ask Marky Mark, you know, Mark Wahlberg, um, <laughs> or, you know, any of these NFL stars that, you know, have had pass or anyone, um, you're going to run into some challenges, right? Um, and I certainly faced those. I, I was going to get a job with this company and everything was there, but there was this one part contingent upon background check. Man. Mm -hmm. Didn't get a call back. But I did get a call from the Salvation Army at Christmas time when it came for needing a, a driver. 
And matter of fact, it was the same people who rescued my family when in the early 90s, we had no place to go and we're homeless and they took us in that same place gave me my first job. And it was, it was, it was humbling. It wasn't very much pay, but it was something. And I knew I had to have mm-hmm. something to get somewhere. And, and you're, you're more hireable when you have something, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I began to just put these tools in my toolbox. During that time, I started running. Um, I was also uh, learning construction. And I met my wife, which is beautiful, you know, amazing. I met her through christianmingle.com. I still mm-hmm. think it's crazy that she even um, actually met me because I even told her about all of my, my sordid past and everything before she actually went on a date with me in Seattle. Um, but, cool. and, and she's an amazing gal. She taught in China for two years, was a missionary down in South America. Um, but me and her would do a lot of hiking and, um, uh, she still loves the outdoors. She's not as active as I am, but I, she'll say it's probably obsessive. Um, but I began <laughs> to replace in my life, all of those negative things with running and, um, just outdoors in general. And me and my wife, we both felt a call to ministry. Uh, We ended up getting married in 2016, uh, the end of 2016. I met her in the end of 2015. So it was really quick. (laughs) We dated for about a year. And then um, a year later, uh, we had our daughter Eliana. Now she's three years old. So my wife and I, we've been married five years um, but two years ago, we were accepted a little over two years to, to go into the Salvation Army's College for Officer Training. And I had been working. I'd actually left the Salvation Army job-wise because it wasn't going to pay for a family. I went and got into construction, and I got into union carpentry, which was amazing. I mean, it gave me health insurance, and I made more than I've ever made in my entire life and provided. Um, but so we got accepted in the school and, and because I was so active and I was working 65 hour weeks building schools and it was a grind. All, I mean, it's time on feet all mm. the time, especially mm-hmm. running around and as an apprentice, you're busy. So I really started running like big mileage when I got to the College for Officer Training in uh, Ranchos Palos Verdes in California. Um, it's there that I did my first uh, self-supported marathon. I had never done a marathon prior to that and not in an organized mm-hmm. race. I had done a half marathon and a 10 miler, but, uh, one day I just decided that I was just going to do this 22 mile loop and it was hilly. It was like 1500 feet of elevation, um, or more. And I mean, it's just up and down the rolling Hills, uh, Ranchos Palos Verdes. And I just, just kept going. And uh, it was about a four hour. I, I got through the 22 and I said, Hey, I have more. <laughs> uh, I'm kind of bonked. And this was the beginning of COVID, right? Um, mm-hmm. And everything was shut down. I was, Trump has a golf course down there. And I had these two, this is all I had in my hand. I had some brownies in a belt and I had two 16 ounce water bottles that were like the 25 cents <laughs> ones from a store. You know, that's what I carried the whole way. Awesome. And I muscled through that like first 22 miles with just that. And then I, I was searching for a water fountain. Everything was closed because of COVID. And I finally found this water fountain. <laughs> but I'm like, do I want to catch COVID or not? You know, so oh anyway, I, I, I risked it. I didn't catch COVID that time, but uh, I made it through that. And that 
I really sparked an idea. Um, fundraising was tough. And, and as a session for my, my, uh, the cadets that I was a part of to become a Salvation Army officer, we're a class, basically, is another way to say it. There's about 12 of us. Uh, we had to do fundraising. Uh, we had a goal that was set and, and all of our ideas were just shut down because of COVID. And I said, you know what? I probably raised a bunch of money running. Let me, you know, this thing seems to be pretty hip. Um, and I had purchased a few, you know, online virtual runs and entered those. And I said, well, let's do that. And so for my 33rd birthday, I decided I was going to run 33 miles and I raised a grip of money, a uh, uh, big shout out if anybody's listening. Uh, thank you. Um, and I ran, ended up running 35 miles, but I went from the school all the way down, uh, basically a pretty flat, like beach run along the strand in, uh, Southern California, close to like, um, uh, they call it rat beach, or I'm trying to think of another place. Anyway, a very long run out and back and it was supported. And I had, uh, a South African buddy that I had met running around PV in the 22 mile. He supported me on his bike. Uh, his name is Mark and, and, and me and Mark, um, good pals to this day, but I finished that 35 miler and I just through that, the marathon and that, I just put a taste in my mouth for, you know, just, just wanting more. And, uh, I've been on that journey ever since. Um, mm. Mark and his buddy, Simon, who I started running with both South African living in Southern California area, uh, they had both done um, the Avalon 50 miler and 50 K. And so right. I pledged I would do that with them. Um, so I'm going to share, share this um, in between. So I just finished my first 50 miler, um, oh. but it wasn't planned. <laughs> and I actually got third place mail. Uh, which Congrats. is like, I was oh, unexpected. I did it in 10 hours and six minutes on the Pacific Crest Trail, going back to my prison goal. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's about an hour and 45 minutes away from me heading towards San Diego. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It wasn't in my work, my, my workup. I'm doing in January Avalon uh, 50 miler. Uh, this thing, I, I didn't think there were any ultras close to me. And I just, on a whim one day, I just signed up. And just to go decide to go do it <laughs> and i show up and that was just uh just epic i mean first off i started off without a headlamp <laughs> and that's not good so i you know my goal that day was just to finish the, the ultra marathon i just wanted to finish and i said i'm just gonna hang back in the pack obviously i have to i don't have a headlamp <laughs> start at 6 a.m right, right and uh you uh, you like to make it hard on yourself, John. You know, I do. Apparently. <laughs> well, we're just going to look at it that way. You know, yeah. Just, I mean, because you're you're early now on this journey, right? And you've already had what four lifetimes so far. Yeah. Um. Mm -hmm. So we're not trying to count them, but I think that the the piece that just keeps striking me here is this this debate that I consistently have about you know. Well, that's not really possible because they don't have the circumstance or privilege that you do, whatever that might be. And I, I want to sort of like say, well, okay, that's fine. I understand. And then I rail against it and say, mm, sorry, I don't buy that. I just 
don't. Like, yeah, there might be a couple in this planet who are incapable for some genetic reason to do something, but the rest of us have an ability if we so choose. It might take longer. It might be harder. You might have ups and downs. You might not get it exactly the way you want. But it feels like, and one of the things you said that was really cool is like, you know, you got this job and I was making a lot of money and, you know, I was feeling very excited and, you know, got benefits. And <clears throat> there are moments where, the, you know, you're getting some really great reward for all that you put into it, right? In spite of having as hard as it could sort of be, right? Family was difficult starting up, didn't get any better, end up sort of okay, but then in prison, then you finish prison, you can't get a job because you're a felon. And like, there's all these reasons why you should just end it, right? Like it's not, but you don't. And you've sort of proven, you know, what I want everyone listening or who aren't even listening, which is that, that it isn't, there's no end, right? <clears throat> there is one, there is one end when we go meet, you know, God and, and find our place in heaven kind of thing. But other than that, like, you know, as we sort of wrap up with you a little bit, you know, if you, you know, usually our question is the chasing tomorrow question, you know, what's your chasing tomorrow? But if you were to give, and you can certainly answer that, but I'd love you to give just a little bit of you know, what John's advice is now, having had to sort of work through how hard mm -hmm. and how possible that should be to where, you know, you're a guy like, we'd just love to hang out with you, man. Like, and, you know, just enjoy your company and learn from you and all of us could benefit from that. So what, what can you tell us listening to the podcast here? Yeah, don't let speed bumps hold you back you know just get over it and um i would say i coined this 100 if i if i could trademark this and um i got this from that time period i was in prison and uh through very painful lesson that, that everybody here's heard um remember the alamo accept learn and move on Mm -hmm. all right mm -hmm. except learn and move on uh don't dwell my dad used to say and i would hate it we don't look back uh you know today's a new day but there's there's a lot of truth you know we're, we're given uh the bible says god's mercies are new every single day uh we're given a new opportunity this day you know today i've got 24 hours in the day um seize it not the way that i was how, how i used to to live it up you know um it, it, my pain cave is sometimes going back to those dark things um they're still there mm -hmm. but i've i've learned from them and they're really the driving force is um you know it's faith it, it's assurance of a a better tomorrow a future you know i have a an eternal goal i'm working towards um set goals go after them realize that they're not going to happen overnight like you have to put in work you have mm -hmm. to wake up in the morning and and grind it out you have to seth james demore says turn that doorknob i mean you have to do it um if you don't your goals aren't going to work them out you know i'm able to say today that right. i have every legal right back every legal right i have a passport uh, i've 
I've got to go around the country of Iceland. I spent two weeks going around Iceland and enjoying that with my family and my daughter mm -hmm. on my back. Um, and, you know, the, that sounds like insurmountable odds, but like, it just, it mm -hmm. just didn't happen overnight. And so mm -hmm. you daily have to make these small leaps forward. And some days, um, <laughs> like I have experienced them, I've been set backwards. I go back over that speed bump, but then I go over, you know, 10 more. That's fine. Mm. Uh, just keep working mm. towards it. And that's it. Yeah. And John, you know, you know, there is no finish line, right? Uh, ultimately, when you think that you've crossed one, there's, there's another one ahead. And so you've accepted, you know, you've, you've had an incredible amount of acceptance. You've had an incredible amount of, of, of learning opportunities. Um, and now you're moving on. You know, but what are you moving on to? So, you know, John, what's what's next for you? Or, you know, when it comes to family, when it comes to career, when it comes to to religion, or when it comes to to running and racing, what's what's on the horizon? What's 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 happening in the next year or two for you? Yeah, I have some I have some BFGs, some big fat goals, and uh, <laughs> uh, one of those is uh, I'm a Salvation Army officer, and. Uh, it's a calling and, and I love what I do. I love it so yeah. much. I'm so privileged and blessed to be able to, th that the Salvation Army entrusted me with all of my craziness in my background. And, mm -hmm. and they said, you know what? We're going to give you an opportunity. You have a passion for this and, and sharing hope with others. I get to do that every day. I talk to, yeah. to people that have had past. I just hired a ton of folks. A lot of those, um, you know, when they get the call and say, you're, you know, you're hired. But why? Because I had that same thing happen to me and to hear their voice on the phone and, you know, how happy they are. It's exciting. Um, uh, as far as like family goals, you know, we, we continue to just strive to grow closer and, you know, take family time. I could always find more balance in my life, but I've set basically a rule for life, which is faith, family, fellowship, fitness, and fun, all of those, right? And, and, and faith encompasses all of that. But in days I get those, if you look at it as a Venn diagram out of, you know, some expand and some um, uh, shrink at times, but, you know, just keep working. I just keep working that. And as far as ultra goals, man, I, I want, I want to get through this uh, Avalon 50, which I'm pretty like, I want to do sub sub 10, at least I did 1006 on the PCT 50 and they kept like, they kept telling me I was going to regret it at the end because I was hanging out in aid stations, just talking with folks. And now I just, I really want to go after some larger goals. I would love to do something <laughs> like the black Canyon, 100 K and then uh, like get in the lottery for Western States. That would be pretty cool. I would love to do. Uh, yeah. I've, I've, I'm in such a good community of ultra runners here. Um, I've met, like I run, uh, yesterday morning, I ran with somebody that does hundreds, has experience there with Zion and all sorts of different, you know, races. And then um, two other guys that are just diehard ultra athletes as well. And my buddy Rob that I've mentioned, and it's such great community. And um, really, it's just to, 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 to find folks too in that to kind of share along the way. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, just just uh, nailing those daily goals. You know, uh, I realize too, I'm a very ambitious guy, and I have to slow down because of 
injuries and just ramping up volume and stuff like that. So I realize I have some time. I don't have to do it all overnight. So yeah, but that, come, that yeah. comes with age, doesn't it? You know, is, is the wisdom to, to slow down a little bit. Absent yeah. patience. We're yeah. always, uh, we're always looking for the title of the podcast, but I think I got it. It's from incarceration to inspiration. So uh perfect thank you uh love it we appreciate your inspiration mm. uh we wish you the best we have to stay in touch you you uh your journey and your story is uh is beautiful to listen to i'm glad we got to witness it a little bit here tonight and uh i know our listeners are going to uh have enjoyed this time together so thanks john mm-hmm. and uh, we'll talk to you soon absolutely thanks for having me on the show guys god bless you thanks a lot john well, Dave, I'm just not sure I even know what to say after that. I mean, John's story is just incredible. I bet you they could really honestly and truly make a Hollywood movie out of his life journey. He is a true inspiration, a living example of anything is possible. And, you know, when we started this podcast, I think John is exactly who we were looking for. I am just thrilled that we had him on this show. Wow. Oh, man. Okay. Well, there. Um, that's the end of this one. Uh, a big shout out to our sponsor, Performance Tea. You check out their new Endurance Electrolyte Blend. It's amazing. Tastes fantastic and really, really works. Uh, you can find them on www.performancetea.com and they've given us a discount code for any of our listeners to get 20% off their purchase. Just use Chasing20 at checkout. And we would greatly appreciate if you could give us a review on Apple Podcasts. We would love you for it. Always a huge thanks to you, our listeners, for coming with us on this journey and chasing tomorrow with us. Thanks very much.